Well, this morning, we continue in our series called I Love My Church. And just like we did a couple of, well, several weeks ago now, uh, when, I, when I got the chance to open this, um, open this series, I just want us to be able to say that together. So let's, let's say that together. I love my church. And I hope that as we've walked through um, some of these different aspects of what it means to be a part of the church, and, and there, there are two different ways we can mean that. We can either mean big C, universal, everyone who claims the name of Christ throughout the entire world church, or we can talk more little c about individual churches. And as we've gone through this, there's been elements of both, but I hope that especially on, on the smaller scale of, of this church, I hope you've um, started to kind of deepen your understanding of some of these things and even your appreciation for what it means to be a part of the gathered people of God. So we've talked about uh, the idea of, of worship and what that really truly means in the life of a believer, in the life of Christians. We've looked at the idea of our unity that we have and the way we use our gifts for one another. We've looked at the scriptures, our rule of faith and practice. We looked last week at baptism and the beautiful, beautiful moment that is. And this morning we turn our attention to to communion. We turn our attention to a little wafer thing. Um, I think it's bread and and some juice. If you've been eating these with us for the last uh, last several weeks, you might be questioning whether or not it's bread. Also, um, they're not delicious. Um, but it's what we've got for the moment. And, you know, each of the things that we've talked about throughout this series have, their, have an importance in the, life of, in the life of the church. But communion has been one, one of the staples of church from the very beginning. I would even go so far as to say that, biblically speaking, it is, it is the centerpiece, which is why, typically, we put it at the center of our service. Uh, obviously, this morning, that's not the case because, well, you're kind of getting an extended communion meditation. Uh, but we, we would typically put it in the center for that reason, and, and others put it in different spots, and that's fine. You could put it at the beginning and say, well, we're trying to get the most important, you know, first things first, most important stuff first, or we, you know, best for last. You know, it's the culmination of the whole service. That's not really the most important piece as far as when we do it. But what I want us to look at today is really, what is, what is communion? What is the Lord's Supper? Why do we do it? What does it accomplish? What is this thing? Because I think for, for many of us, and I say us because this includes myself, for a very long time, I, I don't know that I would say I had a real high view of communion. I knew it was something that we needed to do and we should do regularly. It's something Jesus told us to do. And that we remembered him. That was about it. But as, as, I've, as I've learned, there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot more to it, a lot more depth, a lot more beauty to this, to this moment that we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I have a, a fairly lengthy, <laughs> complex uh, sentence to share with you this morning as kind of a definition that I've come up with uh, on the Lord's Supper. As I, as I walked through this and I thought more about it yesterday, there were a couple of things I probably could have added, but I think the sentence is probably long enough. So here it is. 
The Lord's Supper is a weekly event whereby we both personally and corporately remember, proclaim, and participate in the sacrifice of Jesus and celebrate our fellowship with God through this table hosted by Jesus, pledging again our allegiance to him and declaring our identity as his. Okay, I don't see anyone sleeping yet. Awesome. Okay, so we're, we're gonna walk, what I'm going to do is we're going we're gonna to walk through uh, this sentence and look, kind of look at the pieces. Uh, and I'm going to try to move through that part fairly quickly, so hopefully I won't lose you. But uh, then we're going to get into, into the scripture, into, the, into 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at um, just a couple glimpses into early church life and how communion played a role in, in that. And so I, I want us to begin with... Uh, with just walking through this. So, so the first thing is the Lord's Supper. And um, I've already messed up a couple times by saying communion over and over again. I keep saying communion because that's what I am used to calling it. But, but biblically speaking, it's called the Lord's Supper. Uh, communion is found, the word communion is found in the King James Version, um, but it's actually the word that we typically would translate fellowship. That that's the idea. And actually, that's still something important. That's a piece of what we do in the Lord's Supper, but it's, it's more than that. And, and the Bible in, would, would refer to it in two different ways, the Lord's Supper and the breaking of bread. So if you're reading through the book of Acts and you hear that they were uh, breaking bread, or you hear that um, the early church was, was devoted to the breaking of bread, this is what we're talking about. If you read in the letters of Paul that someone was taking the Lord's Supper, this is what we're talking about. So the Lord's Supper is a, it's a weekly event. This is one that we, we won't look at in the book of Acts, and so, um, or in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians. And so I, I want to spend a quick moment here and look at uh, the book of Acts chapter, chapter 20. And in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. That's how, that's how this story begins. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Eutychus, he's the guy that um, Paul is preaching and preaching and preaching and teaching and preaching and, te and he just goes on and on until it's about midnight. Eutychus is sitting in the window, falls asleep and falls out the third story window and dies. And then Paul goes and raises him from the dead. And then, they, then, they, then it says that they broke bread after that. That apparently they waited until after they had somebody who was raised from the dead with them to, to break bread. So I guess maybe you could say there's a biblical precedent for doing communion at the end of the service. But um, there's a... There's this reality that on the first day of the week when we gather together to break bread, it's just written very matter-of-factly that we were going to gather together on the first day of the week, obviously, and we're going to break bread, obviously. Like, these are just kind of set as assumptions. Now, earlier, at the very beginning of the church, they did it daily. Um, but as people went back to normal life after, um, after the Feast of Pentecost was over, which is why many of them were in Jerusalem at the time, you go back to normal life, and you have to settle into a routine. It's not super practical um, to have a church service every night all the time. You have to settle into some sort of routine. And they, they met on the first day of the week to break bread. So the Lord's Supper is a weekly event whereby. I, the only reason I want to highlight this word whereby is that I just want to point out that um, it's, it's not just a passive moment. That it is purposeful and it is active. This moment of communion, this moment of the Lord's Supper, excuse me, uh, does something. There's, there's something happening here. We both personally and corporately. There is 
there is certainly a me in the Lord's Supper. There's a, there's a me moment there where I, I reflect on myself, but there is certainly a we present in the Lord's Supper as well. You find no example in Scripture of a person taking communion, excuse me, taking the Lord's Supper by themselves. You just don't. It doesn't happen. They take it together as believers. There's a me and there is a we. The Lord's Supper is where we personally and corporately, and the next three kind of all go together somewhat. We remember, proclaim, and participate in the sacrifice of Jesus. So we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It is a remembrance. That's probably the part that we're most familiar with, right? Uh, you know, and do this in remembrance of me. Okay, that's kind of the big, the big thematic word there is this remembrance. Uh, but biblical remembrance is more than just a recalling to mind. It's more than just, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like it's, it's more than that. Biblical remembrance is this idea of, of placing yourself into the story. This is why in Deuteronomy, when Moses is, is speaking to the people who are about to go into the promised land, he can speak to them and say that, that you're the ones that, remember when God, God brought you out of the land of Egypt. Except that none of them were there. <laughs> the people he's talking to in Deuteronomy were the, were the children and grandchildren of the people who had come out of Egypt. There may have been a few that were real small when they came out of Egypt. But for the most part, the people who came out of Egypt died. They died in the wilderness. They weren't allowed to go into the promised land. And yet he was able to speak to them as though as though they had come out of Egypt. And the reason is because they remembered. Not in the sense of, oh yeah, I was there back in whenever that this happened. It wasn't that kind of a remembrance. But it was this remembrance where you place yourself into the story. It's where we proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus. Much like much like baptism that we talked about last week, we are preaching the simplest and yet most profound sermon in the act itself. That there is, even apart from whatever words are spoken before or after, there's this, there's this beautiful picture. Like, like in baptism, there's, this, there's the death, burial, and resurrection. This, this picture that's there. And, and in communion, there's, there's the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. Although, please don't spill your communion on the floor. Spill it into your mouth when we take it. Uh, but but there's, this, there's this broken body and this spilled blood that are present in this. And once that's shared with you for the first time, you, you don't have to be told. Like, you, you just, you see it. It's there. And it's, um, it's, it's this, this proclamation. It's, it's a preaching. It's, it's a sermon. And it actually gives us an opportunity even to proclaim. In talking about many of the, the feasts and, and things that were going to be commanded, uh, Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, when, you're, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And then he goes on to tell them that when, when they ask you, Remind them that, you know, we were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out with a mighty hand and out. And you're to recall the deliverance that God has, that God has done for you. Well, likewise, in communion, especially for, for the first time, in, in both communion and baptism, a child might ask the question, why are we dunking that person? Like, what's that about? Like, why are we, 
this is a pretty pathetic snack. Like, why are we, like, can we have some more? Can, we, can you pass that back over here? Like, there's, there might be these questions that come up, and it's an opportunity to say, look, God, God brought us out of our sin with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us. So there's this, there's a proclaiming that happens in the Lord's Supper. Well, it's also a participation in the sacrifice of Jesus. That's one of the big points that, that Paul hits in 1 Corinthians 10. And so suffice it to say that we are participants in his sacrifice by eating and drinking of it. We celebrate our fellowship with God. This is the table. It's not the altar. It is where we celebrate the fellowship or communion. It's not where the fellowship or communion has been accomplished. Now, we, we just sang the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And now I'm saying communion is not, or the Lord's Supper is not the altar. So what's the deal with that? I think it's still appropriate for us to sing songs like that. I would put it in a similar category uh, to the song, The Old Rugged Cross. That we are we're pointing our attention to the place where, where Jesus was crucified for our sins. Where this, where this communion, where this fellowship was accomplished was the altar. It was, it was that old, rugged cross. But, commun- or, but the Lord's Supper, that's not, that's not where sins are dealt with. That's where we celebrate that sins were already dealt with a long time ago. That we... We remember the altar and the cross and what, and that those things have accomplished our healing and wholeness. But we come to the table to remember it and to celebrate that we have renewed fellowship with our God. It's hosted by Jesus. That should be fairly obvious, but it's, it's the Lord's Supper. It's not, it's not my supper. It's not your supper. It's not even Ninth Street Christian Church's supper. It's the Lord's Supper. He's the host of the meal. And he is present. Let's get controversial for a second here. Okay. Uh, how is Jesus present in the Lord's Supper? Is he present in the Lord's Supper? That's kind of been the question, right? Throughout, throughout church history, there have been lots of churches who have gone their separate ways over the Lord's Supper. And there are four kind of main ways that uh, it's been understood throughout church history. Uh, the Catholic Church has traditionally held uh, transubstantiation, that the, the bread and, and the cup, they, they turn into the actual substance of, of body and blood. Of Christ's body and blood. Martin Luther, the reformer, would, would teach consubstantiation that, that the substance of Jesus, um, that it doesn't turn, that the, bo- or that the bread and the, and the cup don't turn into the body and blood, but that the substance is, the substance of the body and blood of Jesus are there with the bread and, and the cup. On the far other end of the spectrum was the Swiss reformer Huldrych Zwingli. His name's just fun to say. He would say that there's really not any real, or that there's no real substance or presence in it, but that it's simply a play, so to speak, a drama to to remember. 
And then there was John Calvin, another reformer, who would say that there is a real presence in the Lord's Supper, but it's not in the elements, it's in the act. I would, my own personal opinion, I would tend to err probably towards where John Calvin landed on it, that in the act of, of partaking in communion, there's a sense in which Jesus reveals himself to us. Luke chapter 24 is one of my, becoming one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's these two disciples after Jesus has died, and he's, there's these rumors that he's risen from the dead. And they're on their way to this little town called Emmaus. And as they walk along the road, this, this person comes up and joins them on the road. Says, hey, can I walk with you? Yeah, sure. Okay. And it's Jesus, but they don't know it. And so they talk with him about what's been going on. He's like, oh, what, what, what about this Jesus guy? And, and he's like, well, you guys know what was written in the Old Testament, right? And so he, he, shares this, he shares all of the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself with them on the way there. And when they arrive in Emmaus, he acts like he's going to keep going, and they urge him to, to come in. And, and there they, they dine. And, and it says that Jesus, Jesus ends up taking the role of, of host. Even though it wasn't his own house, he, he takes the bread and he, he breaks it. And it says their eyes are opened and they realize, this is Jesus. And he vanishes. He's gone. And there's this line in verse 35 that says that he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That there's a way in which, uh, in which Jesus reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. And so I, I think that there's, there's maybe different ways of, of understanding what exactly is going on and what way Jesus is present in communion or in the Lord's Supper. And I think that there's a reason for that. There's, there's some mystery to that. But it certainly is a table hosted by, by Jesus. He is the host of the Lord's Supper. And then we pledge, we pledge our allegiance to him. This is where we recommit ourselves again to him. We say, Jesus is Lord in the taking of the Lord's Supper. That's what we declare in that moment. We declare our allegiance to him. And then we declare our identity as his. This is a different proclamation than what we talked about a minute ago, but, it's one of, but communion is one of those regular markers of our identity. Much like uh, Tyler talked about last week with, with baptism where, where um, Paul asked, you know, should we keep on sinning so grace may increase? No, of course not. You've been baptized. Duh. Like, it's just, it's one of those identity markers. And, and in communion, communion, communion serves as an identity marker as well, where we remind ourselves, yes, I am still his. I am still, I'm still Christ's person. And we remind ourselves and everyone around us, that I'm still calling myself one who belongs to Jesus. And so now we turn our attention to, to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 10, first off, starting in verse 14. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, free, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. 
for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And in this section here, we get, we get a, few, a few pieces of this. So we get the, the personal side. We get this participation in the sacrifice, fellowship with God, and this declaring of our, our allegiance and our identity as his. It's personal. It's, it's an individual participation that Paul is addressing here. These people are, are trying, and there's, there's a bigger picture of this food sacrifice to idols. Okay, that we're not, I'm not going to get into all the background of that. Um, but suffice it to say, I think he summarizes it pretty well right here, that when you partake of eating in the sacrifice, you're participating in the altar. He says it very matter-of-factly, that when you, when you eat of a sacrifice, you are a participant in the altar. So what that means is, when you eat, it leads to, to fellowship with whatever God that thing has been sacrificed to. It leads to a certain amount of allegiance that you're declaring um, toward whatever God that's been sacrificed to, and it's an identity marker that, oh, you eat over at, you eat over at the Temple of Zeus. Okay, gotcha. And there's, there's this marker there. So the Lord's Supper is a weekly event where we personally and corporately remember, proclaim, and participate in the sacrifice of Jesus, celebrate our fellowship with God through this table hosted by Jesus, pledging again our allegiance to him and declaring our identity as his. That there's, there's this, this realization that take, taking and eating is more than just food. But it matters. It matters uh, who, it's been, who it's been sacrificed to. What altar was this meat sacrificed on? And, and we don't necessarily have that issue in the same way today. But I think it's significant for us to maybe, maybe take inventory of our, of our allegiances. We may not do it with food. We may do it in other ways. Where we pledge our allegiance to ones who are not, who are not Jesus. But there's, there's a sense in which you cannot, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That seems self-evident, but... But still needs to be said. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And it, it kind of harkens back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where, uh, where God says, don't make idols. And why? For the Lord your God is a jealous God. Not jealous in, in the sense of, I want what someone else has, but I want what is rightfully and truly mine. That the Lord is jealous for what is his. And we can't have split allegiances. If you're sitting on the fence with Jesus, you've made up, you've made up your mind. There's no, there's no holding my allegiance to Jesus in tension with my allegiance to something else. It's just, you've already made your decision then. It is only Jesus 
or everything else. And in communion, we, we declare, in, our, in the Lord's Supper, we, we pledge our allegiance to him, and we declare that our identity is belonging to him. If you turn to the other, maybe the other side of the page in your Bible, or, uh, or maybe you have to flip, flip a page, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we get kind of the rest of the story of communion here. Verse, starting in verse 17, it says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give instruction or give directions when I come. So the first thing I want to point out there is that this was one of the handful of things that Paul saw as important enough to include in this letter. He says, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff that I want to talk to you about, but this is one of the things that you are just getting disastrously wrong, and you got to get it right. It's a weekly, the Lord's Supper is a weekly event where we both personally and corporately remember, proclaim, and participate in the sacrifice of Jesus and celebrate our fellowship with God through this table hosted by Jesus. Pledging again our allegiance to him and declaring our identity as his. It's, it's corporate. The issue that he's addressing in, in Corinth was, was communal. They weren't waiting for one another. In, in fact, they were, they were going so far as while they weren't waiting for the people to get there, they were getting drunk. So basically we have, on the one hand, we have some people who are eating to excess— and drinking until drunkenness. And then we've got, on the other hand, these people who are coming in a little later and are hungry, and there's no food left. They weren't waiting. And he goes so far as to say, you're not even eating the Lord's Supper. And you think back to the meals that Jesus, that Jesus engaged in while he was on earth. Oh, man. Jesus included everybody. The poor, the rich, saints, sinners, tax collectors, zealots, everybody. Everyone is welcome and included at the table of the Lord. 
And so this, this is why we must discern the body, he says. Now, the, um, the Greek word here is soma, okay, which, which means body, of course. But there's another word that, that can be translated as something very similar, and that's this word sarx, which means flesh. Now, now if he was talking about your, um, your, your sinful self, discern the body, why don't you just sit there and think about how terrible you are for a little bit? He likely would have used the term sarx to talk about uh, what gets translated in the NIV as the sinful nature. But he doesn't. He uses, he uses soma. He also doesn't say uh, body and blood, which is how he's talking about Jesus. So he's, he's not talking about the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus. He's not talking about your personal body. But if you look at the greater context of 1 Corinthians, what's the very next, next thing in Corinthians? Well, it's that beautiful picture of the church as the body of Christ. It's the people of God as the body. So it's a, in, in this particular context, and I would say there's probably other ways that you can, you can take, take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but the one he's talking about here is about having no regard for your brothers and sisters. Not, not considering them, not discerning them. That in, in this section here, you have to consider how it is that you are engaging with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you sharing what you have with others? Are you judging others for not sharing with you? In what ways are you engaging with, with the body of Christ? That's, that's a worthy question to ask of yourself in, in the time of communion. Because the supper remembers the altar and it proclaims the effective death of Jesus on the cross. We remember the altar and we proclaim his death on the cross. That's, and that, again, that's the more familiar aspect to this. It says, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he, until he comes. To kind of finish up here, I wanted to share a quote from, from a guy named Alexander Campbell. Some of you may know who he is, some of you may not. Um, he, he was one of the guys who helped found um, the movement that started the Christian churches and Churches of Christ. Uh, but he, he wrote in 1830 these words concerning the Lord's Supper. He said, Upon the loaf and upon the cup of the Lord, in letters which speak not to the eye, but to the heart of every, dis every disciple, is inscribed, When this you see, remember me. Indeed, the Lord says to each disciple, when he receives the symbols in his hand, This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. The loaf is thus constituted a representation of his body, first whole, then wounded for our sins. The cup is thus instituted a representation of his blood, once his life, but now poured out to cleanse us from our sins. To every disciple, he says, for you, my body was wounded. For you, my life was taken. In receiving it, the disciple says, Lord, I believe it. My life springs from your suffering, my joy from your sorrows, and my hope of glory everlasting from your humiliation and abasement unto death. So we have this individual side of communion, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, each disciple, in handing the symbols to his fellow disciples, says, You, my brother, once an alien, are now a citizen of heaven. Once a stranger, are now brought home to the family of God. You have owned my Lord as your Lord, my people as your people. 
Under Jesus the Messiah, we are one. Mutually embraced in the everlasting arms, I embrace you in mine. Thy sorrows shall be my sorrows, and thy joys my joys. Joint debtors to the favor of God and the love of Jesus, we shall jointly suffer with him, that we may also jointly reign with him. Let us then renew our strength, remember our King, and hold fast our boasted hope, unshaken to the end. There's a we in communion as well. And so this morning, here in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then it'll be time to uh, partake of our little, little packets here. And as we do, we celebrate that we, have been, that we have been made right with God. And that in this participation, we are bound not only to Christ, but to, to one another. And while we are not passing the elements to our fellow disciple, as Campbell said, as we hear the, these cup wrappers crinkle, recognize that those who are with you crinkling their cup wrappers too, that we, you're not alone in your allegiance to our Lord. That he is with you and he is with us. And that he calls you his and he calls you all his. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time where we can have fellowship with you. Where we can sit at the table hosted by, by Jesus himself. And while to our physical bodies this is a, a meager feast, God, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, it is so filling to our spiritual appetite. Lord, I pray that as we, as we take, that we would do so in a worthy manner. Help us to discern, discern the body, discern the church. Father, help us to, help us to do that in a way that honors you, and proclaims to the world that we are yours. In the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.